Moto America fans, it's time for another episode of Off Track with Carruthers and Bice. You'll laugh, you'll cry, and you may even learn something from this unlikely pair and their special guest. The mic is yours, Paul and Sean. Sean Bice, good afternoon. How are you today? Good afternoon, Paul. Good, good to talk to you after our fantastic weekend up in Wisconsin. Yeah, it was. Um... It was quite a weekend. I think I've, I've told a, a lot of people that's um, that definitely ranks, if not my favorite, right at the very top of uh, my favorite places to go for for our events. It's the tracks awesome, the the facilities incredible, and uh, the people are nice. I like where we stay. All the personal reasons that make you like a trip, you know, like how close you are to the track, how good the restaurants are, just things like that. But uh, what makes this place even better is it's uh, the racetrack is good and safe and, and all the racers like it. And, um, and the racing is just incredible. I, I, I looked up some stuff today and I think our margin of our total margin of victory was under two seconds for like nine races or something. So it's pretty ridiculous how close all the races were. Um, most of them were, well, I think almost all of them were with the exception of one were under half a second, the, the difference between first and second. So yeah, incredible racing. The weather was decent. We had a little rain, but uh, that's kind of normal there as well. But uh, overall, it was it was really a good weekend. A lot of good stuff happened. Yeah, it's incredible. Not only there, but man, our our uh, racing is close in every class. It seems like and always compelling. I mean, it's we're we're really blessed to have you know the riders that we have in our series and the kind of competition that we offer. I mean, we're starting to get a lot of commentary on social media about people saying, you know, just, just how compelling everything is and, you know, how close the points races are and, you know, the number of wins and, you know, it's, it's definitely not domination by one rider, um, you know, per class or anything. I mean, I know Rocco Landers is doing pretty well with his wins in junior cup, but um, it's still early in the season. And I mean, he isn't winning by, well, he did win a couple races by a pretty big margin, but it was uh, both of those wins this weekend were very much in, in doubt until the end. And it was like that down through all the classes. So uh, it's, it's, we, it, we have some awesome racing. It's so great to be a part of that. Yeah. I think, you know, the Rocco thing you point out, I think he won by 0. 0.051 and 0. 0.054, um, you know, from Dallas Daniels one day and then Kevin Olmedo the next day. Um, with Dallas uh, just as close in third. So uh, although the kids won five races, and, and like you said, a couple of them he's won by a pretty good margin, you know, those other guys are definitely, I think it's making those guys step up a little bit more. And, uh, you know, I, I, I think Dallas Daniels and, you know, maybe some of these other guys will will win races. I don't think Rocco is going to run the table, so to speak, because uh, I just don't think they're going to allow that to happen. So yeah, it's it's all good stuff. What else you got for me today? We got a good guest today. I'm excited. I'm excited to talk to Thomas Stevens too. It's going to be great for a lot of reasons. I, he's been a hero of mine for a long, long time, way back to probably in I probably ninety ninety one around when he won his championship with Vance and Heinz Yamaha, and, and it's going to be great to talk to him. But um, I also, you know, I wanted to start by talking. I didn't realize that this had happened this long ago. Uh, but it's part of football folklore, and I know you're a pretty big fan of the NFL. You've you've heard of the Heidi Bowl or Heidi game, right? Yes. Okay, I didn't realize that was in 1968. I guess I don't remember it live because I was pretty young, and so were you. But you know, it occurred to me over the weekend, and for for the younger fans we have or people that may not remember, the the thing about that was sort of interesting in that there was it was a game that was played in November between the Raiders and the Jets, and it had it was a pretty close game. And for some reason, NBC decided to take it off the air in order to put on the wonderful world of Disney, Disney's television uh, film version of Heidi. And, uh, of course, the switchboards went nuts. Fans went nuts the whole bit. And it sort of established this idea that, you know, live um, live sporting events generally, if they go long, are kept on the air. It's very rare for them to pre be preempted. And, you know, I thought of it over, over the weekend because of clearly what we had to deal with. And we got a lot of complaints about the fact that our uh, our races were which were, you know, uh, tape delayed, were actually delayed and preempted uh, a little bit. Not really preempted in terms of not being shown, but shown later because of I, I think, you know, better than I do, Paul. But I guess it was a baseball game that ran late and, and then had forced a boxing match to be moved. And it created a bunch of things. And 
I, because our race wasn't being shown live, of course, it got it got moved because of this idea that live sporting events are not uh, preempted anymore because of that sort of thing that happened with the Heidi Bowl years ago. Is that is that kind of the idea about what happened yeah, to us? I think the baseball game ended up going like six six hours or something. So <laughs> wow. when that that happened, that was the live that was the live event that you're speaking of. And then obviously they had boxing coming up next. So then they went to the boxing and then we got pushed back to, uh, to third in that order. But um, I mean, those things, those things happen. Like you say that the live events are going to take precedence over the other ones. And also we're still in a situation where, you know, stick and ball sports are going to, are going to take um, top spot over us uh, right. at, least for, at least for now. So yeah, it's a bummer for, you know, well, well, it was a bummer for us too because we were trying to watch it. Um, I think we, you know, we finally ended up watching it there, in uh, in the place where we ate dinner. But um, yeah, it's frustrating when you're a fan and you know you're looking forward to something and and uh, and then it gets pushed back like that. But yeah, the the I, I guess if nothing else, our you know our fans are pretty avid um, because they do complain and and uh they obviously miss it i guess if they didn't if they didn't give a crap they wouldn't complain so i guess it's a good True. thing that they complain yeah and and the thing is you know it's one of those deals where you know we we are glad that they complain and i don't mean to pass the buck necessarily but you know it's kind of, it was kind of not our fault and there really isn't much that we can do about it at this point i mean it's great that we're actually on tv and we have to deal with a few things here and there. Hopefully it won't happen again or too often, but you know, it does sometimes and there really, really isn't much that we can do about it. So um, I just hope they'll stick in there with us and realize it's sort of the, the, the lay of the land with regard to live TV and live sporting events. So. Yeah. And again, um, I know it's a, it's a service that you have to pay for, but the Moto America live plus pretty much would take care of that. If you true. had that yeah. subscription. So you know, we do offer that. So, I mean, the level of frustration I know gets high when, when you're trying to watch something and, and it does get uh, pushed back like that, but there are other options for, for making sure that doesn't happen. But, um, right. you know, again, I understand some people um, don't want to spend the money or don't have the money or whatever their situation that they're in. So we can't expect everybody to, uh, to hop on board, but it, it is nice to have that opportunity to present that to them because, you know, it can keep them, uh, it can keep them on schedule with, with what, what our schedule's like and we don't have to um rely on somebody else. So Yeah, That's it, right. was, it was a bummer, but um, you know, it all worked out. We we take the heat. You know, all as social media people take the heat <laughs> on uh on Facebook and stuff and, and you know, I mean the bottom line is they don't care whose fault it is, they're just pissed that they didn't get to see it. And so their natural reaction is to uh is to lash out at us and we take it like big boys and, and move on, I guess. <laughs> That's right. Exactly. But you know, that Facebook, that can be pretty cruel. Oh my gosh. I guess so. You know, the so-called keyboard jockeys and a lot of them, we explain it, you know, they're pretty reasonable. They actually respond and they're like, Oh, okay. Thank you for responding. And some people will get in our inbox on Facebook and, you know, we try to always be respectful on it. There are some people that just, you know, you can't, you can't almost discuss it with, um, but other people are like, okay, now I get it. You know, I'm fine with that. And a little bit of knowledge does help. So, um, yeah, but, uh, you know, speaking of that kind of stuff, getting complaints and everything, um, <laughs> let's segue into our guys. <laughs> yeah. And th this guy can have his hands full at times. Um, Thomas Stevens, for those of you who don't know, is our, what is the official title? Race director. Um, Race director. But uh, and and it's a it's a job that's new to Thomas this year. And in past years, he's been our he's been our rider rep. Um, so he stepped up a little bit with uh, with Doug Chandler, kind of uh, kind of jumping in and out. And and we also have Stuart Higgs uh, that also it's 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 funny. I, I think we have a really good team of three guys there that kind of learn from each other. And I know Thomas has learned a lot from Stuart Higgs, and he's also learned a lot from Doug Chandler. But pretty much uh, Thomas is the guy on the hot seat now. And it's funny because every once in a while I'll get a text or somebody will tell me like, hey, can you bring, you know, uh, you know, uh, for example, Michael Barnes, because this weekend it's, it's, it's fresh to me because I had to take him up there. But it's like, hey, we need to see Michael Barnes. And then I always get to the rider and I'm like, uh oh, it's time. You have to go to the principal's office. <laughs> in, in, in Michael Barnes's case, it's really funny because he's basically the same age as the principal. 
but um so yeah so thomas is the guy that takes care of any on track issues and 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 really anything you know he's he's directing the race action he decides when races are wet or when they're dry he decides you know um red flags he just you know there's a there's it's a big responsibility and with that responsibility he uh he's also the guy that's got to um take care of policing things and sometimes he's got to be the bad guy that has these chats with the riders and sometimes he has to give them penalties and things like that but thomas how how are you adjusting to the new job i mean you obviously seem to be doing a, a very good job with it and you've had some tough situations already well, I appreciate that. And hello, Sean and Paul. Hey, uh, but as far as, yeah, as far as that goes, the, it really, the biggest thing was the two day event at Jer or excuse me, at VIR to be thrown into that. That was, uh, really stressful because it was just, you know, that was the first time we had done that kind of event. And it's like, you don't even have time as you guys already know to like get your feet wet. You go from practice to, okay, we're racing. Okay, TV. Okay, stay on schedule. Oh my gosh, we got rain delays. You know, here's what we need to do. Let's work the schedule. So it was uh, pretty hectic the first race. And being, you know, race director is a big responsibility. So it was, um, it was, it, I, I'm not going to, it was very stressful because we had some incidences that we had to have some people come up and talk. And it was a very stressful weekend. Um, everybody got through it. Like you said, Paul, we got a really good team in race control. It's, you know, it's not just me in race control. It's, it's, um, you know, the, the safety officer and the rider representative that make up the race control. Ultimately the, you know, the race director, like you said, is the guy that's going to start and stop races. So, you know, there's a lot of, you know, well, there's a lot of responsibility in it. And I, and of course, as you know, I take it very serious because it's, um, as Stuart, you know, it's not a ball and stick sport, you know, motorcycle racing is a life and death sport. So when you have, People out there picking bikes up in gravel traps and riders going by at 100 plus miles an hour. It's very stressful because not only is the rider safety is, um, you know, is is foremost, but, you know, the corner marshals and the and the flaggers and the people that are on the ground picking these guys up while we got live action. So one thing I learned from Stuart Higgs is it's, you know, it's not a ball and stick sport. It's a life and death sport. So, of course, up in race control. It gets pretty serious, and it's uh, at times it's pretty quiet, and you can cut the tension uh, with the knife. Yeah, and I mean it's funny too, Thomas, because I, I know you to be actually a pretty funny guy. You got a dry sense of humor, but uh, up at Road America, you know, we don't always get to see how, what you guys are doing in race control. But I was doing this radio thing next door, and there was a giant window, and you and man, everybody were in there, and and everybody was just staring at the screens. And completely dead serious. And there was like no, no, really not any talking that I could see. Definitely no laughter, no smiling. And I had remarked to you afterwards and you had told me, yeah, that's the way it's got to be. Tell, tell us about that, what you have to do when you're in that room. Well, as far as uh, as far as that goes, you know, it all depends on where we're at. I mean, it, you know, qualifying in practice, it's a little lighter because, you know, it's it's not as um there's not as much going on as far as uh, keeping on time as much as like with a race. So, um, but once we get to the race part, Sean, then yeah, it gets, it gets very serious. And of course you got to keep it relatively quiet in race control because I'm listening to the communicator who's, who's talking to the corner worker. So I learned that part from Stuart Higgs. I like to listen so that I can get the information instantaneously to know what camera to look at, to assess the situation, to see what we need to do. So you got to kind of keep it quiet. It's not a real laughable time. And you know, the other thing too, guys, is everyone up in race control and you know the the other guys in in race direction. You know, it's some. Um, you know, they're all professionals and really the and mo all the tracks we go to, the the communicators, the, the personnel that the track supply, they all know their jobs. Um, they're a great bunch of people, of course, at Road America. So it was, um, you know, went relatively easy. But at the same time, you know, like I said, it's 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 really serious business to make sure that we keep, you know, the riders safe and the corner marshals safe as well. And the runners. I think it has to be a big help for you. Um, and I think for, for, for Moto America as well is the fact that you, you've been there, done this. And I think you have to have, I mean, you, you have to have the race director's role, but I think it also is very helpful that you've been on the other side and you've been under the helmet and you kind of, 
you kind of know what these guys are thinking when they're out there and why they probably do some of the things that they do, which on the outside to us might look a little silly, but then for, for, for an actual racer, and I'm talking about things that Tony's done, like, you know, he thinks, oh my gosh, I need to get going. I'm going to ride the bike backwards on the track, or, or I'm going to get off here and I'm going to cut back and go to the paddock and try to get my, you know what I mean? They're, they're, you, you know, you've been in the heat of that moment where you're making decisions based on all I want to do is be on my bike and be competing and maybe not thinking things through. And I, I think it's good that you've got that experience to, so that you can deal, help deal with those guys when, when they do stuff like that. Well, I think that's, um, you know, that's a really good point, Paul. And that's something that, of course, you know, Dougie was a big help, Doug Chandler, as far as being able to help educate and explain to the riders, you know, once I became the rider representative, because he, you know, he helped me along that way. Um, Stuart was more on the race direction side. Um, but yeah, I do understand what they're going through. And at the same time, though, sometimes, you know, these guys need to think it through a little bit more. So instead of like, you know, beating Tony over the head with it when he came up to race control, you know, it's more like I grabbed him by the shoulders. And I said, I'm like, Tony, you know, you got to, you got to be thinking. I go, so, you know, like, like what he did, it was just, a, and I don't want to get into it because it's over with, but it was just a real dangerous situation. And then of course his team jumps the fence and they start helping him with the bike. And I understand there's, but that's the reason why we have rules and that's why to keep people safe and the riders have to be able to follow the rules. And if they don't, then of course Tony was assessed a a, a point point penalty, um, not from the championship, but for for the personal points that we have that go against the riders. That if they continue to make bad decisions, then they're going to be penalized for it going forward. So, you know that part, yeah, I do understand, and and I and I hope that they think this, they think the same way. And 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 to relate to that is at dinner on Saturday night after you know what we went through because I had to hold the race for almost, I think it was 20 minutes before we finally got the track um, ready to go with the help, of course, you know, Dan Argano, who's the race um, the safety officer, giving me the feedback as well as Doug to what the conditions were. Um, Cameron Bobier, you know, when we were eating dinner, Doug and I, he, you know, called, brought me over and, and thanked me, which means a lot to, to watching out for us today because, you know, unfortunately at Road America, we can't really go with full, you know, any kind of particip or any kind of rain, um, that the track goes to ice, even with, you know, even though it's, you know, not a puddling rain to where some other tracks you can get away with running slicks, but that place, since the, the pavement's older, once you get any kind of precip on the, on the pavement, then it just turns to ice. And those guys, as Cameron said, he goes, I went through three off the throttle. And he said, the thing came around on me and there's no way we're going to be able to race in those kind of conditions. And at the same time, you know, you have your rider representative and I am as well down on the ground. So when these guys pull back up, we kind of get some feedback. Then you got to get the feedback from the safety officer. And then ultimately, that's when the, you know, that's when the, the, the pressure comes being the race director, because that's when you got to put these guys' lives in your hands and you got to make a decision to go racing. And it's it's not always an easy decision by any means, but it's a decision that has to be made because you have to weigh out all the you know, weigh everything out. And if the track's ready to go, even though some of the riders might think it's it's not ready to go, kind of kind of the some some of the stuff that we had at Barber a few years ago. Um, ultimately, the race director and race direction makes that call to say we're ready to go. And and you know, the way I always looked at it as a rider, you know, I'm not if everyone's lining back up to go racing, I got paid to do a job, and I wasn't there to. You know, I wasn't there to make a decision like I'm going to not ride. I was there. I pulled up and said, OK, well, you know, the throttle works both ways. And that's kind of the way I look at it now. You can either slow up and get through the race or you can continue to put your head down. If that means falling off the thing, you know, that's that's part of being a. And I'm just talking about the factory guys, but all the guys compete really hard, whether you're a paid factory guy or you're riding for, a, you know, a privateer team. Now, d tell me this is the. Of all the decisions you have to make, are the most difficult ones those ones where it's a weather deal? I mean, like it, like we faced at Road America, it's like, hey, should I hold off a little bit and and this thing will be a dry race, or should I start it now? I mean, is, is the weather stuff is that the is that the the most difficult thing you face? Uh, well, yeah, I mean, well, no, really, the most difficult decisions is to make is to go to a red flag situation. So those oh, are the okay. those are the, the 
Yeah, those are the ones because you know now now we either have a I mean we a tracks or a bike is on the track. You know, at that point, you know, you only give them a certain amount of time before we, if they can't if we can't get the bike cleared or if we can't get the rider cleared, then you have to go to red flag and stop the race and and of course that's you know, that's just due to a safety issue that um you know, as I've learned, we're always going to air. Moto America is always going to air on the on the side of safety. So the riders aren't the, the riders will always be on board with I I feel with, you know, airing on the side of safety. So that's exactly that's how we approach it. But the red flag stuff. But then again, though, Paul, I mean, when it comes down to the you know, we were in a tire situation as far as what was going to work was what got, what wasn't going to work. Road America um, has some uh, very specific challenges for Dunlop to be able to, to 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 produce a tire. I mean, you talk about speeds up to what 190 miles an hour with an average speed for the Superbike guys, I think of 110 miles an hour. So, puts a lot of stress on the tires, um, and then of course a lot of stress on the rain tires. So we were kind of caught in between of what we needed to do. So it's a, you know, it gets down to a pressure situation where finally you have to make a call. It's the race director take all the information from the race direction team, and then you go ahead and make the decision. And that's where you have to go, you know, go racing. And then at that point, of course, if you were to send them off and the conditions where it starts to rain more, then I have the option to stop the race again. And, you know, then we go into, we have different scenarios in the rule book that, that tells, tells us, you know, if, uh, and I won't get too long winded on this stuff, but of course, you know, you have, you have, Different scenarios in the rule book. However, if everyone's already practiced under wet conditions, then that changes the scenarios in the rule book. So once I de- declare, a, a, for example, if it's a dry race, you know, it, it's it's a dry race. If I declare it a wet race, we're not going to stop the race. So if it's declared a dry race and the conditions get to where it starts raining again or and we have to stop the race, that's one thing. But once you go to a wet race and the decision's been made, then we're going to run the race. So at that point, that's up to the teams to decide what what tires we're going to put on it, what's going to last, and then you know then it's up to the riders to go out there and like I said, you know it's a, you know you guys have been around racing. It's a those guys are gladiators. There's no doubt about it. They are you know they are some really tough and of course super talented guys that can go out there and go that fast in you know drying conditions when you know and I always excelled in wet and dry conditions. Um, I wasn't the best rain rider, but I could get up to speed. But when it was wet and dry, you know, I, that's kind of, I excelled in that kind of, I never, never, you know, was, was um, worried about it. And I, I don't want to say scared because I was never scared. I was always, you know, this is what I get paid to do. This is what I love to do. And, you know, let's go race. If the next guy's going to line up, my team pushes me out on the grid, then it's time to go. And I think a lot of the guys understand that as well. You know, one of the things, Thomas, when I was a couple times when I was observing you over the weekend, you know, by sort of accident or by the fact that I was next door or when I've been walked into race control uh, for one reason or another, you have all these monitors. And is it true that even at Road America, which is a uh, more than four miles long, you guys do you guys have cameras on every single turn or every aspect of that track. And if that's true, where do the cameras come from? It's not the broadcast cameras. Is that right? Well, we, we have two banks, two, two, two banks of cameras, I guess I'll call them. So you have the, the CCTV closed course TV that the track provides, like, you know, some tracks have a really great system. Some don't road. America's got a great system. I mean, you can see every part of the track. We can play reap, replays of any of the incidences that we have um they can zoom in on the crashes to show us you know what's going on even almost down to with the bike would be leaking fluid and at the same time we have the stuff that that um moto america and is providing that we have another bank of tvs that we can watch and we really kind of watch i watch the live race on my monitor because i do have a live one coming through and at the same time that's when i'm listening to the earpiece because as soon as I hear of an incident, even if the camera hasn't got to it as far as our TV cameras, I've already turned to where the incident is, knowing that, you know, it's in whatever, turn eight, eight B, whatever it may be, then I'd look at that that camera. So, yeah. So, yes, they do have really good camera systems. Um, most of the tracks have really good ones. 
Some of them are a little more challenging. And then at the same time, when we have more challenged on that end, then we have, of course, our cameras to review. And, our, and, and you know, Larry Myers and the crew, they do a great job. So once a guy goes down, they usually stay focused on the guy so that we can keep an eye on what's going on, even though he may cut away from it in the, in the you know, broadcasting booth to go to the live race. They usually stay on it. And that's something that we've talked to Larry about to try to stay on the incident as long as you possibly can. So we can continue to monitor it to make a decision whether or not we need to stop the race. Wow. So race control, you actually have talked to essentially the broadcast people because they are an asset to you to provide an ability to see what's going on in the track, too. It's not just your own cameras. That's that's really interesting. I didn't know that. Yeah, well, that's, we, that's have, we you know. Yeah, we already have that set up prior as far as, speak, you know, it's kind of like we've already worked with Larry enough to where he already does that automatically. Um, but we have we did talk. We have talked to him before to say, look, when these guys go down, you need to stay on the incident. And their camera guys are usually really good at that. So and the big thing for me is what I've learned from, you know, working with Stuart is, you know, he likes to listen during the races because that way he can respond instantly or he can give an order to the communicator. So. Just so you guys know, can I go over it real fast the way it kind of works in race control? Is that if that's okay? Yeah, please. Yeah, We'd it. love to hear it. Yeah. Uh, okay. So so the way it works is you have you have um we have Walter, who's the deputy race director. He's the broadcaster that comes on. He's the one that talks to our personnel and he he has two radios. He talks to our personnel as far as getting set to do the race or whatever it may be. Then um then he talks to the teams on the team radio. That's Walter's job. So and then at the same time, you have Walter works with the communicator and the communicator is the one that is is talking to all the corner stations. So when when and that's why I like to listen to the communicator while they're talking to the corner stations, getting live reports back exactly what's happening. And then from there, you have you have your EMT people. Um, that's another person that sits in on it that, of course, dispatches um, emergency personnel providing, you know, ambulances, whatever we need. Um, and then on our side, you know, of course, you have the safety officers usually in race control. Um, the rider representative is in race control, which sits next to me. And then, of course, as the race director, I sit next to Walter, who's the deputy race director. And that's how race control works. Wow. Does that make sense? Yeah, that's that's sure pretty does. amazing. It's a whole team effort. Do you would you say since you were the rider rep and now you're doing race control, it was probably advantageous that you were the rider rep and moved to this role. And it's very early days for you to do this new role. Are you at a point now where you could say which one you like better? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> rider representative. It was killer. <laughs> yeah. Killer. Rider representative, like, okay, hey, I'm gonna go walk around for a while, talk to the guys, see what's going on. I mean, that's all between you know, before once once we do go into the races, then of course it's very serious because as the rider representative, um, you know, part of his, part of his role is, you know, once we get the start, then his role is to go review the monitors and the cameras if anything has been called up from the grid to say, you know, look at you know, look at row two. We think we have some movement because, of course, all you know our our people down on the ground are watching as well. Then he reviews every row um, in a timely manner to see if there's any you know any jump starts or any um, advantage gained. And then he comes back in and tells me clean start. And then I lean over the uh, communicate or the excuse me Walter, which is deputy race director, and say clean start. And then he announces that to everyone else so that we all know that's clean start. And at the same time, you know you have. On the next booth over, you have all the timing and scoring people, and and those people have their hands full as well. So it's it gets you know, it's very challenging. But as far as no, I I enjoy I'm enjoying being the race director. It takes some time to be able to enjoy it because it's a lot of pressure that's involved with right. it as well. But it's not you know I I've already said I'm still going to be I'm still going to be myself. I still want to enjoy the process. There is pressure. But I've dealt with pressure my whole life when it comes to motorcycle racing. So it's nothing new as far as that. It's almost the same type of pressure. I mean, it's, you know, when you're you're paid to do a job and you're paid to stand there and hopefully, you know, well, I make the right decisions that always err on the side of safety. And I think and we also have to mention that we've brought Tom, Tom Kipp in and uh <laughs> 
unfortunately, he came in at Ryder Represent, Ryder Represent, what, what am I trying to say? Ryder Rap. <laughs> at the yeah, wrong, at, the complete, at completely the wrong time because he was thrown into that VIR mess and uh, and it was first his first day on the job. But, you know, I, I watched a little bit of that from the outside and I was impressed with the way how, with how Tom handled things as well. So I think he's going to be a good addition to the team. Yeah, I agree. No, he's already, you know, some of the stuff, because of course, you know, that, Hey, we're talking about a guy who's won four championships. So he never won a super bike championship, which I don't need to slight him on that, but he won. Oh, I sure. Even, I, well, <laughs> he, he does bring that up. He would say he'd give all his championships up to be super bike champion, which I would be the same way because, you know, let's face it. We all strive to win the biggest class with the, you know, with the fastest guys, at least I always did. So um, the super sport classes are stacked, but they're not stacked like Superbike. Do you guys know that? The cream of the crops in Superbike, you could take any one of those guys out of Superbike, um, especially any of the top four or five guys, and they would win any other class that you would put them in. Um, it's just the, the other classes, you know, the talent level. I mean, for example, like Supersport, we got some really good guys that are coming up. But, of course, you have some guys that are really seasoned guys like Bobby Fong and Haven Gillum who uh, – who flat out get it on. So of course they're always going to be fighting for the top. And then I can't not mention someone like Sean Dylan Kelly, who is some, um, you know, up and coming kid that obviously he's got the goods. And then even someone that came over from the British series to, to uh, race this past weekend, which is Brandon Posh. And I really don't really call him an up and coming kid because he had raced with our series before, but you know, those are some pretty heavy hitters in that class. And, and until the way I always looked at it and, and kind of getting off topic, but when it comes to the support classes, you have to be one of the guys that dominates the support class. If you dominate a support class, then you're going to get a ride on a super bike. I mean, that, okay, what do you got, got you. Go what, 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 which guys is, is it how you, maybe this is more from the rider reps than, than, than from you, but is it okay. the less experienced guys that you have to talk to and deal with more, or is it surprisingly, some of the guys that you would expect you wouldn't have to deal with as, as far as like handing down punishments or, or having little chats with these guys. Well, it, it, um, it kind of goes, it, it's both Paul, actually the younger riders need some education on how things need to go. Some strategies to maybe make things so it doesn't get down to where you're pointing fingers at each other. And I'm talking about the middle finger, um, mm -hmm. which we've had that kind of, you know, because let's face it, you know, a guy gets to, like what happens if a guy checks you up or brake checks you or something to that effect? Well, as we talked to him prior, you know, like don't take it in your own hands, you know, come get the rider representative so that we can go both sides of the story somewhere in the middle of the truth lies. And then from there we work it out because if not, if you guys take it in your own hands and do dumb stuff on the racetrack, then you're coming up to see the, to see the race director and the safety officer. And it's not a pleasant experience. Um, and I make sure I make it that way because it shouldn't be. Um, as far as, as far as the, you know, more established guys, the more established guys, um, it just depends on their personality. Some guys are a little more hand gesture type dudes, um, than others. I kind of never, I, I was a little bit, um, because, you know, sometimes you just get frustrated because you, you know, say you're putting in a really good qualifying lap and you run up on a guy who's kind of in the middle of the track. Well, hello, you need to be thinking if you're not on your, you know, on your, on it then you need to be off the line and sometimes you know some of the younger guys or the less experienced guys make some mistakes so the older guys would get a little bit more frustrated you know thomas it's interesting well, uh, one of the things i wanted to bring up with you is you know the different as you know kind of the difference between paul and i among a lot of things and there are a lot of differences between the two of us but one of them is that, that you know obviously uh Paul has grown up in racing his whole life and I've been a fan and got involved more in, in this stuff later on. But I had said in the intro that I've been, you've been a hero of mine since 1991. Well, I actually have to go back a couple more years and I forgot it was really, it started in, I believe it was 1989 when you were racing with Nordica team Roberts on the TZ 250 and you had John Kosinski as a teammate. So when you went from that and, you know, showed your, your talent and then became 1991, uh, Super by AMA Superbike champion for Vance and Heinz Yamaha. Of course, that was, you know, the, for me, the piece de resistance. And, you know, I still walk around and say, say, hey, it's 1991 
AMA Superbike Champion Thomas Stevens. But now that I've gotten to know you in this role, and this started when you were telling me about kind of your parenting skills. And I grew up, my dad was pretty strict. And boy, I can tell you, when you tell me about how you bring up your your uh, kids, just the look on your face, you have one of those 20-mile stares that burns right through you. And I, I can tell you, you doing this job and how you are as a parent, when you when those riders come up here and when you said that you – you definitely, um, you know, kind of make it that way. You have the right personality to, to be a strict disciplinarian. I can tell you that. So you're well, the right well, person for the job. Hey, I don't know if that's a comment or not, or I mean, a compliment or not, John, but it is, it is. But I mean, I, you know, as far as the, the hey, the p- parenting thing, that's, they don't write a book on it. So that's really difficult. As everyone knows, Paul knows, he's already been through it. Um, the, the rider stuff, you know, or, dealing with the riders and being in, involved with the series. Um, you know, I, I came up through racing, so I understand racing. And I understand what it's like at the highest level. And I've been fortunate enough to, you know, be the, you know, AMA rookie of the year in 1990, win the championship. And then, you know, I finished uh, second the next year, but, you know, not to talk about my career because I, I started to jump around because I was chasing, chasing money and, and Terry Vance wasn't willing to pay me the kind of money that I wanted. And, um, so that's, you know, that's the reason why I moved on, but it's, um, you know, this new role as race director and it's, it's kind of fu- not to, so the way I, I'll give you a quick background. So the way this all evolved was, you know, I, I slept on Chuck Axland's couch when I was riding for Kenny back in the day, when I first got to Modesto to train. And, um, that's who, how I've known Chuck for what, 31 years, or I'd, I'd have to do the math, but, um, I called him out after I heard you guys or heard that he had, and Wayne had bought the series. Um, I called him and asked him if he ever needed any of my help, um, not to call him up to ask if I could get a job. Cause I think that a lot of, a lot of other racers started to come out of the woodwork looking for that. And I approached it more as, um, with Chuck that like, if you need my help, you have my number. Um, if anything ever comes up and then out of the blue, you know, after that, well, it was only what the first I've been with you guys, what it's going on four and a half years. So halfway into the first season or almost right to the end of the first year, Chuck gave me a call and said, you know, would you be interested in being the rider representative? Cause things were starting to stabilize and race control and what Stewart's role was going to be. And then Doug, Doug Chandler was moving up to race director. And, and that's when I came on board and, and um, you know, but no, get, getting back to Tom Kip, he's been, like we said, he's won multiple championships. He's, he's already, a, you know, he's a pastor. Um, he has no problem with speaking with people or being in front of people. Um, he's, he's, you know, he'll get up to speed, but it does take a while to kind of figure out where your niche is. It's kind of funny when I first um, got Tom involved, I gave him all the great stuff of how it works. And then after he committed, then I gave him all the, all the tough stuff. And he's like, he was very, it was actually pretty comical because he thought, Oh, so I'm like, so I just go between the teams and I'm just like a, handshaker and babe you know i'm the i'm that guy right and i'm like yeah tom yeah you get to come to the races again you get to hang out you get to walk around shake hands kiss babies it's all good and then and then afterwards i told him what you know that sometimes i mean as you guys know racing is very passionate um we have a great you know great bunch of guys that race our series and gals and um you know, it gets, it gets pretty heated. And when they want, you know, when they come up to race control, so, you know, um, Tom's a really, he was really, uh, really did really well in the meeting that we had with, um, with some of the guys over at VIR after some instances that we had. And, um, he's, uh, he's a, definitely an asset to the team. And at the same time, it was great to have Doug Chandler back because he just has, you know, he just has a, such a, um, you know, he has such a good grasp on it as far as race director and, and even rider representative that, um, you know, it's always good to have such a good team that you can rely on because I'll tell you like Dan Argano, that whole thing at road America, you know, like Dougie was down on the grid. I was up on the platform, you know, standing outside. And at the same time, you know, we have Dan Argano who's done this stuff for a long time. And, you know, these, these are the guys that give me the information to make the calls and Dan, you know, he did the first lap in the, in the safety car inspection car, excuse me. And he, radioed back and said, we're not ready. Um, and then he said, but, you know, give me another, you know, give me another eight minutes or whatever he said at the time. Um, I'll report back. And then of course he went and 
did it again. And, you know, thank God we were having some drying conditions. And he said, we're ready to go. And then once I hear that, you know, Dougie asked, uh, I forget who he asked on the grid, maybe Tony, um, you know, if it was what he thought, um, because, of course, the riders are very important in helping make the decision. And uh, Tony said something to the effect of we're ready to go and and the rest of the guys pretty much fall in line. And, you know, we go with our I, I always rely on my on my, you know, the older guys that have the most knowledge as far as um, when I was the rider representative, who to ask, um, because some of the guys aren't, you know, some of the guys are a little more not so ready to go racing because they haven't had the experience, but someone like, you know, like Cameron um, has had a ton of experience. Tony who's raced all over the world in all kinds of conditions. He's got a lot of experience and he's not, you know, when it's time to go, he's ready to race. So, once you hear that from, a, you know, at the, well, one of our uh, champions, past champions, or, or always will be a champion. But that being said, he's got a lot of knowledge. So he's one of the guys we rely on. Thomas, how many, how many guys, I mean, do, do you find that most of the people in the paddock, would, would they know that you were a former Superbike champion? Or do you get the feeling that they don't know? I mean, I think some of the kids, obviously, that might be a reach, but I mean, some of the other guys by now, I mean, they have to have known your, what your accomplishments are. Is that true? You mean if I walk around, hand out a business card before? No. Well, um, well no, I no, don't no, wear no, that no. big I ring think... or something like a championship ring, like a Super Bowl ring. Do you wear that? I, I don't think you do. Do you? No, but I need to get one of those. Can you mention that the Yamaha? Because they gave, they gave Josh one and that Hayes are, you know, I mean, come on. I'm the first guy to ever win it for him. Can't you at least throw me a ring? And then I can be like, Hey, but no, no, that on, on a, um, on a serious note. Um, I think I was always a history, uh, a, I'm a, a historian guy. So I already knew who they were. Like when Wes Cooley was my teammate with, uh, when I was riding for John Ulrich doing the endurance stuff, I knew who he was. Um, I got the, I got the, you know, the back end of his career, Wes Cooley, not the front end of his career, but I mean, I knew who Skip Axon was. I knew who, you know, I knew who the, you know, of course, Kenny Roberts, cause my dad was a fan. So I knew who all the champions were coming into it. And I think that, um, I think that the riders should, should do their homework as well. And if, um, but at the same time, you know, if they don't do their homework and come up to race control, it makes really no difference. And, you know, um, they're going to be treated the same way, fairly and evenly. The rules are, you know, the written way they are. It's our job in race direction to make sure that we, you know, we we play fairly um, and distribute the rules evenly amongst all the riders. But no, I think a lot of them should know because, and that's the that's one of the great things as far as with Moto America and what Chuck and and Richard and Wayne and all those guys and and Terry and have done is, you know, they brought in some people that actually like know what's going on. So it's not a matter of like when the guys look up at race control, like, you know, oh, my God, who is this guy? Well, you got Doug Chandler. He's three time superbike champion, you know, um, won multiple amount of races. I'm a I'm a superbike champion. Um, you know, Dan Argano has been around the sport forever. He's in the Hall of Fame. I figured I'd mention that because he always mentions it to me. Uh, <laughs> AMA Hall of Fame. Yeah. In case anyone didn't know, Dan is the statue of the. Hall of Fame bronze when you walk into the Hall of Fame at the AMA. I didn't know that. Guys, <gasps> yes, he is. So, of course, since I'm not in the Hall of Fame. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> exactly. Um, we got to work on that. Uh, yeah, sure. Every, yeah, I keep telling that to the, to the uh, AMA representative who comes, Ken Salon. But <laughs> it Ken. Kind of, yeah, falls on death. He, he, yeah, they get a big kick out of that. But that being said, though, like you guys said, I mean, I really think that the Moto America is, you know, really progressive to have the right guys up there in race control and the right guys, guys and gals running the series to be able to, um, you know, they're, they're hold some credit. It's not a bunch of people that don't understand racing or have never really been on that side. Cause I always felt, and I still feel that like, you know, I would like someone that actually knows racing. But that being said, like someone like Stuart Higgs was never a, never a racer but he's been around the sport and been in that position for so long that he relies on the people that are around him when it comes to those type of decisions like 
for example, when we had Tony and Josh run into each other at um, at VIR, and I was there with Stuart. You know, Stuart asked my opinion. He didn't make an opinion. He he asked the rider representative because he wants to know from someone who's done it. And that's the wow. same way with 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 I would address you know with whoever the rider representative is, of course, and the safety officer because it's a it's not a one person decision. But Stuart, you know, was like Thomas, what do you think? And I'm like, well, I gave my opinion. It's clearly you know. Josh got in there. He shouldn't have tried to make the pass. It was a really iffy place. You know, Tony didn't close down on him. I looked at it as, you know, Josh was Josh was trying to is trying at the time to make a name for himself. He's a great rider. He's a form, not a former. He's a he's an AMA Superbike champion already. Um, he's an aggressive guy. But sometimes, you know, they, you know, you got to still. We want him to race hard, and we want him to race. Well, let me say, we want him to race really hard because it's great for the fans. So a little bit of contact, I'm okay with. Knocking well, someone yeah, down, it, I mean, we're not okay perfect. with it. It was perfect that he asked your opinion because I recall you doing the same thing to poor Dave Sadowski at Brainerd. Absolutely. Yes, he did. <laughs> oh, yeah, I think I did take him out, didn't I? Broke his collarbone. <laughs> poor, and, and, I, and, yeah, but at the time, you know, and I'll say it again, I did not – I was an aggressive, hungry, uh, East Coast, Southern. I, I'm from Maryland, but I came out of the Southern region. Dave was a, you know, bullheaded Northern Englander. mass guy that, you know, <laughs> New Englander that, I mean, I would never want to get in a fight with the guy because he would no. like, just whip me. But at the same time, once we put our helmets on, I don't care how big you are. I don't care how bad you can fight. It makes no difference because when we went, when it was time to go racing, we go racing. So I had the opportunity to stuff it underneath of him. He threw it in on top of me. I had nowhere to go, and I knocked him down. But it was, uh, you know, but that's racing. We've we've had that happen before. It's just, you know, but then again, you know, we, we would look at it and say, well, was it something intentional or was it a racing incident? So there's a big difference between someone coming there and cleaning someone out, making a really bad decision or someone getting in there and like getting pinched off and getting on the brakes too hard and losing the front. Like, for example, like when Tony went down, if Tony would have clocked, took someone else with him, it would have been a racing thing. I mean, the other guy who would have gotten knocked down and just using that as an example, wouldn't have been happy about it by no means, but it wouldn't have been, he intentionally tried to, you know, make a really big mistake and take you out or stuff it underneath of you to where he had to lock the brakes up and, and take another rider out. That stuff is not acceptable when it comes to, um, to, um, Moto America. Right. Okay. Look, we, we've mentioned some, we've mentioned your West Cooley teammate. We now mentioned Dave Sadowski. And I think one of the things that's interesting about your career is you've always had, you've always had, um, let's just say interesting teammates. I mean, you've had, <laughs> you, you, You've had John Kaczynski and you've had Anthony Gobert, and I'm sure you have a zillion stories. And we we obviously we can't get into all of them here, but but of all those guys, is there is there one of them that that obviously you've been with talented guys? But there, what I'm getting at is some of them their personalities have been a little odd, or or some of the things that they've done have been a little odd. Would you would you want to comment on any of that? Of course, of course, and hey, don't forget Scott Russell because. I've always been right. loaded up with some really, really fast teammates. So that's okay. Cause you know, that's, that's part that's of the good. deal. Um, yeah. as far as, uh, personalities, I mean, I always got along with all of them. So it was never, a, you know, um, but I'll say it just like Bob Hanna said it. I didn't like any of them, any of the guys yeah. I had to line up against. I had no, nothing for them. Like I wouldn't, I didn't want to be their buddies. All I wanted to do is race them and beat them. And I didn't care if they liked me or not. So. That's kind of how I always looked at it. Was I cordial to him? Of course. Some of the other guys, you know, during my career, I was nice to. Um, but when it came to guys like Russell or Gobert or, you know, I was cordial to him. But at the same time, I hated the guts. Is that too, <laughs> is that too strong to say I hated the guts? No. But I mean, no, 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 and, no, and I good. say that, in, yeah, I say that in a competitive manner because, you know, as we, as you guys know, racing is very competitive. And if you don't get the job done, you're you're not going to be getting paid so you either got to get the job done or it's or you have five other or ten other guys especially when i was racing because i mean it, by the time my career was over we had what 14 factory super bikes so there was a lot of a lot of not so much a lot of rides but a lot of really fast guys that were, could step in 
step in and take your position um, if you weren't getting the job done. Um, John was the only thing I could say, I, you know, of course, you know, John was um, it was real funny. He was helpful all the way up until I got within a couple points in 1988 um, as far as with the championship. And then all of a sudden he just stopped talking to me. And I like finally had to pull him to the side and I'm like, John, what, what's up? And he's like, you know, he, he, John, typical John, what, what are you talking about? What, you know, he's all, you know, cause he never, and I'm like, I go, you won't even look at me or talk to me. I go, I understand I'm only two points behind you in the championship, but you know, you can at least talk to me as far as to say hi to me. And it, I don't think John's ever had been approached that way before. And then once I once I said that to him, we were fine. Gobert wasn't it was just a character all the way around. Um, we all know that. Um, Russell, it, you know, not so much a character, but just an unbelievable um, bunch of talent. Um, so, you know, those guys I was and, and I was always resentful to those guys because, you know, like I was the guy that I had a ton of talent but I had to work really hard at it. Like it never came easy. I never got on the bike going, Oh, here we go. You know, easy peasy. Like someone like Russell, he'd go out, come in, he's not even sweating. And then all of a sudden he's on the pole and I'm like, what? You know? And he just, same with Gobert, like so much talent. And only I can say about someone like Anthony, and I wish him well today, but you know, I just hate to see these guys that have so much talent, just piss it away. And that's exactly what he did. There's no doubt about it. And I even would say the same thing about Scott. I mean, you know, he achieved great things. Don't get me wrong. I mean, when he went to Europe, he was on it. But I'm telling you, Scott Russell's got the kind of talent that he could have been definitely stayed in MotoGP and and really flourished. Um, but at the time, you know, he just kind of and I'm speaking for myself as from an outsider, you know. So when I see stuff like that, I'm like that really just gets under me because I was one of those guys that just didn't have all that tons of talent. Um, but I was willing to work at it. And, 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 you know, that's kind of the reason why I always worked so hard on my fitness side um, of racing. So that when we got 10 laps into a 24 lap event and other guys would start to get overheated or make mental mistakes that I was, you know, I was charging all the way up through to the end. And I was, I always said I wanted to be as good on the last lap as I was on the first lap. So that's kind of the way. So, yeah, I've had some interesting teammates, but really the best. Hey, when I originally went to train with Kenny, you know, I flew up there and, and long story. I won't get too many stories, but um, I remember thinking, OK, I got these guys because I have former motocross background. I didn't know. Like I went down to Yamaha, picked up some brand new YC125s and 250s. You know, Kenny sent me down. I was kind of like the gopher because I was the youngest guy. And I'm like, I'm going to handle these dudes since we get on a motocross bike. Yeah, no, that didn't work out so well. Those guys, <laughs> you know, and Paul knows this, Wayne, Kevin McGee, any of these top, you know, even Kenny, uh, Eddie Lawson, because I've ridden with all of them. They and Doug Chandler, for example, you put them on anything, whether it's a 50 or a motocross bike or a dirt track, they're all super competitive, like. There's no doubt if they trained hard enough, worked hard enough, they could qualify for a Nash. And I think, you know, we see a lot of that now today, like, you know, with with like guys like Jake Gagne. Um, Gerloff is another really big, you know, motocross guy. I've watched a lot of his stuff as far as him riding. Super talented. Those guys can do, you know, it doesn't really matter. They can, they're fast on anything. But yeah, when I, I was originally, and then when it came down to running, because I was a big time runner, you know, I'd run marathons. I was like, or up to that point running a lot and i'm like went out to run with wayne and i'm like oh i'm gonna just haze him today i'm gonna haze and we rode all day i'm like i'm gonna haze this guy you know yeah <clears throat> yeah i was sucking i was sucking cotton balls trying to keep up with him on the way back yeah and i'm like wayne you know like why didn't you like wait for me what a, what you know why'd you just have to run he goes swatch was right in front of me i had to catch him I was like, oh, 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 okay, okay, uh, you know. He goes, yeah, let's go back. Now we're going to do another 25 laps on the mini bikes. I'm like, what? We rode in the morning, rode night. We've run. Can't we just go sleep? So those guys, they, you know, they you understand that level that man. And they, as far as being a, you know, it's to do as any. You know, I've spoke to Wayne. You guys have as well. I mean, to be at that level to the, you know, the Valentino Rossi's the 
Mick Dewins, the Eddie Lawsons, those guys are were really, really there's unbelievable amount of focus and dedication to be able to go fast and just have tons of, you know, they have all this, they had like tons of talent, but they had the work ethic to go along with it. Like Wayne, you know, tons of talent, but as he got the work, he had the work ethic and he was a bulldog. And, you know, I think Eddie was kind of a guy that was more, uh, had a ton of natural talent, but he was willing to work at it. And I think the same thing is what you see today. I mean, you know, the guys that are, you know, even in our sport, the guys that are really fast are working really hard at being good. It's not, or being great. It's not, not anything that's given. Like, you know, I guarantee you Cameron's home, you know, he gets home, he starts training again, gets ready for the next event. Yep. Yep. For sure. Well, I think we're going to have to do a whole nother show with Thomas at some point because I, he gave us so much information about race control and how that works, which is very helpful because there's a lot of people that just don't understand it, myself included. I mean, I, I've got a pretty good grasp of it now and I've seen it for long enough, but I mean, it would be one of those things that if you came into this deal, even as a young racer, you'd be like, I don't, I have no idea what's going on up there. And, and sometimes you kind of think, oh, you know, why isn't the guy down here or why isn't this happening or why isn't that happening? But they just fully don't understand the, the multitude of the things that are going on. So I think it's great that you've been able to explain that to us, Thomas. And and the whole other, the the, the next time we have you on, we'll focus on nothing but um, cool stories about um, yourself and teammates and, and past racing years and et cetera. Because I know, I mean, I was there with you and, and uh, you've been around for a long time. You've done it for a long, t- long time and you did it really well. And it was a nice, uh, it was nice having you on the show today. I'm glad you could come in and join us. And um, I would suggest that maybe at some point in your life, you may want to get rid of the AOL account because I think you're, my, my dad and you are the only guys I know that have AOL anymore. I didn't even know it <laughs> <Yeah>. existed. <laughs> so that was funny. Rid- I was, if, yeah. And that's okay. Hey, just so you know, you two. So when I came back, I'm like, <laughs> now I'm going to get my Instagram or account. And then I do, I get a tweet, tweet, tweeter thing, or what do I do? And they're like, <laughs> <laughs> oh my god and i'm like what i go well what about the instagrammer man i'm I, hey i'm gonna get on facebook now and they're like yeah. they were just kind of like looking at me going oh uh, okay okay yeah get up to speed there tom you know you're, yeah, you're yeah, gonna be okay he, he even he even had to get rid of his myspace account to get facebook <laughs> so that was <laughs> yeah and then and then to throw out the aol thing like you would have thought i did something wrong i'm like yeah it's it's blah 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 at aol.com and it's like jason or i you know that runs timing story he just like same with paul he like looked at me like i was from another planet and i'm like well, <laughs> yeah. what doesn't everyone have an aol account they're like oh my gosh you don't have your own like you know thomas stevens dot net stevens i'm like what no i don't even know how to set that stuff up that's why uh, i go to you guys you like you that? know Paul, so, you know paul there's a current writer that actually still has an aol account do you know who i'm talking about josh yeah, michael hayes. barnes josh no, hayes has an with, AOL. oh i was gonna go with michael barnes because he's just as old as i am ha i got it I got it. Thanks, Sean. Appreciate that. I, yeah. No, I think Josh Hayes is yeah. pretty close, so I think he's pretty old too. So. All right, well, you Josh guys. Is, yeah. All right. No worries. I appreciate you having me on. It was great, um, and I hope uh, we enlighten some people as far as with race control. And and we'll just I'll just wrap it up by you know appreciate Moto America bringing me on, and um, I look forward to the rest of the season. We got a lot of great racing, and um, I was looking over all the points before I came on. Of course, all of our championships are very tight in each class. Um, and we're looking forward to some great racing and some great TV coming. Yeah, it's Absolutely. it's nice having you there. I, I enjoy it's been good since you've been back. And we used to do a lot of stuff when we were when you were racing and stuff. And it's nice to be able to to have some meals and stuff every once in a while and hang out a bit. So it's it's cool having you there and you do a good job. So we appreciate having you. Yeah, and All for right, me, it's, guys. for me, it's funny, too. I mean, because I, you know, coming from being you being one of my heroes like Wayne, it's like I used to you know, save up these questions for if I ever got lucky enough to see you somewhere, I could quickly go, Hey, can I ask you this really quick? Now I just get to ask you questions all the time and drive you nuts. So it's great. I love it. Yeah. yeah. I, thanks yeah. for that, Sean. It's really yeah. nice to have to listen through it every time. When you yeah, exactly. Yeah. exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Especially for like Paul, he's like, please don't ask him that question again. <laughs> he can barely get through the door as it is. I'm like, no, no, no. That was prior. That was back when I was, 
before and become humbled with children. How's that? There you go. Yeah, humbled by life. And I bet, you know, and I've I've been really, really lucky guy and blessed. And and the role as race director has been a been a, you know, is a big under, you know, it's a big something big that I took on. It's um, and it's uh, nothing that's not, you know, I never take it for granted, just like my racing because it's a huge responsibility. Um, I've been taught by the best, at least I feel the best, um, and Stuart Higgs and Doug Chandler, and and we're going to continue on, and especially with Tom Kipp being in race direction, and everything's good. That's great. And now, of course, my kids are here, and they're ready to uh, for dad time, so I appreciate it, guys. Thank yeah, you, Tom. It was nice having you. Thanks, John. Yeah. We'll talk again soon. Bye, guys. Thanks, Paul. All right, you got Bye. it, guys. Bye. 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 Bye.